we're very close to the cross. There's not much time left. There's, there's, listen to this. This is the last salvation miracle until Jesus is hanging on the cross. So we're really close now. This is a powerful message. So we have a title. If you've been with us, we've been through the Pharisee and the tax collector and the, the children uh, belong, the, the kingdom belongs to the children, the rich young ruler, up to Jerusalem last week, and now today, the blind beggar healed. 1835 to 43, hear now the word of God. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, we are here by divine design. And that means you have something to speak into each heart, regardless of age or station in life. Speak now. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people, that all within the sound of my voice would be in a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Blind beggar healed. A couple things about blindness, just so that we can be clear in the scriptures. There's, there's a deep, deep meaning to it, but there's also a few other things that we should know. In scripture, sometimes blindness is a punishment for disobedience. Blindness is the effects of old age as well, just like it is for us today. Conquerors would sometimes blind their captives. Blindness clearly denotes ignorance to spiritual things. That's important that we understand that. And this is the key, the opening, and we'll talk more about this, of the eyes of the blind is peculiar to the Messiah. So this is really important. So let's ask this question. What's the cause of spiritual blindness? Right? We take it right out of the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It's the God of this world who has blinded the minds and, and keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the God of this world, and where did that begin? In the garden. And that's where spiritual... Remember, they died instantly spiritually. Later, they died physically. So the God of this world, Paul lays that out beautifully. And the only way for those eyes to be opened is by Messiah. And we'll look at that this morning. Three headings, the beggar's predicament, the Lord's power, and the people's praise. You ready? Let's head out into some deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was the beggar's predicament? Well, it's clear. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So we have a man who's blind. We don't know why. We don't know how long. 
but we, we know he's blind. Just a couple points of interest if you're, if you're really reading hard in the scriptures and you're, you're looking for the cross references and sometimes where a couple different gospel accounts will have information. If you're looking at that, you'll see that Luke is a little bit different here. He agrees with Mark, but not with Matthew as to one man. But here's the question. Okay, here's the question. If, if Matthew says there's two and, 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 and Mark and Luke says there, there's one, was there at least one? Of course. So here's the key. It's wonderful that we do not have identical gospel accounts. Because if we did, you'd think that they colluded. That they got together and made up the story. These read, as C.S. Lewis says, as eyewitness accounts. And they're not to be identical. And it's not to be a great concern to us at all. And obviously it means absolutely nothing as far as the Lord is concerned. Whether there's one or two. If there's, if there's, if there's two, there's one. Another point of interest, you read the gospel accounts, one he's approaching Jericho, another he's coming out of Jericho. Is there a contradiction? Of course not. And we can go really deep on that if you'd like. There's really two Jerichos at this point, and, and what are they? Remember Jericho and Joshua 6, and the walls came tumbling outward, by the way. Archaeology has proven they've tumbled out, outward, which they couldn't unless God was tumbling them. So there was a Jericho that was absolutely and utterly what? Destroyed for God's people to come into the promised land. But now this is a Jericho that's been rebuilt. In fact, now it has become so beautiful, it is told by Josephus, first century historian, Jewish Roman historian. Josephus says that Mark Antony gave the city of Jericho as a gift to Cleopatra. So was he coming in or was he going? Yes. He might have been coming into the new and going out of the old and... and, and but none of that is a concern. So just when you read that and you go, because sometimes skeptics, it's contradiction, no contradictions, okay? Now, this is important, really important. He asks what's going on. He can't see, but he hears a commotion. We don't know how many are there, but we know there's thousands that have been following him. And we know now that there are tens and tens and tens of thousands heading up to Jerusalem for the Passover, Right? So he hears this massive commotion. What's going on? And here's what they tell him. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Notice what he does. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What is that? Those who led the way, and you know who those are, right? The disciples, always trying to keep people from coming to Jesus. Right? Remember how they did it with the little children? Remember they did it with the woman who hemorrhaged? Remember? They're always trying to keep people away from Jesus. They try to keep him away and told him to be quiet. He yells out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. It's a blind man's insight. That's what it is. Why, when the crowd identified the, ca- the cause of the commotion of, of Jesus, as Jesus of Nazareth, why does he then frame it into something that is just bizarre? Son of David, what is that? Well... Let's go to 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, and let me make this statement. This blind man saw what those who had sight could not see, because he saw with the eyes of his heart, because God had revealed it to him. So what is son of David? That is clearly messianic. That is huge. Jesus of Nazareth is no different than, 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 than Aaron from from. Fort Lauderdale or Pompano. It's no different than than any person being. It's a human thing. 
you sometimes identify an individual by where they live. So Johnny of Fort Lauderdale, Jesus of Nazareth, that's fine, but there's nothing special there. Son of David is huge. Ready? When your days are over, this is, this is God making a promise. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and, will come, and who, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Could be thinking Solomon built the house. David did. He was a man of war. Uh-oh. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You remember when Gabriel, the angel, shows up to Mary? How does he identify? In, in Luke 1, what does he say? This, this, is, this is the son of David. This is the one whom, whom, whom the father had promised the throne of David to. This is the one who, who you're pregnant with. This is the Messiah. This is the promised Savior. This is the one that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. This is, this is messianic. This is huge. So, grounded in God's promise to David, what we just read... This blind beggar knows this. The disciples don't get it. The religious leaders don't get it. People are jumping up and down and cheering because of these miracles. But this guy gets it. Okay? Let's, let's keep going. Okay? One more point. Don't miss this. David was never known to be a healer. Did you read about David healing anyone in the Old Testament? So you have to really go deep and get an understanding. This guy's clearly looking for healing. But he knows he's the son of David. So he knows what? He is, he, he's greater than David, greater than Solomon. He's something from out of this world who's going to be able to do something David never could have done. He, he knows the scripture. And he knows it because God has revealed it to his heart. David healed nobody. But he's crying out to the son of David. Stay with me. Isaiah 11, 1 to 2. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel, of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the promise of the awaited Messiah and he has come. The blind beggars, know, he knows. He sees it. Now we go to the genealogies, which I used to struggle reading. Like, what are they here for? Well, how does, the, how does the New Testament open? It opens by defending God's prophetic claim that this Jesus is the son of David. Matthew 1.1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for Christ is Christos. This is a title. This means anointed one. His name wasn't Jesus Christ. It wasn't his last name. Christos is a, is, is a, is a title of, of, of Messiah. This is the anointed one of God who had been promised from ancient of days. He, he had been promised in the eternal counsel of the triune God. And we see it in the, open, the very first words coming out of the Old Testament. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we see this in the Old. What do we say about the New one word from one God to one people. How does the book close? Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I am the root. Who's speaking? Jesus. 
I am the root. You know what the root means? I am the creator. I'm the source. And I am the offspring of David. Who could say that? I mean, it's a crazy thing to say. And if you miss it, you miss it. So you can't miss it. You've got to stop. What do you mean you're the root? I created David. <laughs> and I'm also his offspring. Wow. You see all this? See how it fits? Beautifully? A great quote from Helen Keller. Many of you know her story. I, I won't touch the story. I want to just keep moving. But a wonderful quote. And, and this applies to all of us. So, so apply this to the heart. Certainly applied right then to them. It applies to us today. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. How many people are locked into that condition today? The only thing worse, and this is the woman who is blind. The only thing worse, there's something worse than being blind. Blindness isn't the worst thing in the world. But having sight with no vision. All these people around Jesus had sight. They could see, but they had no vision. This blind guy had vision. Back to the passage. Luke 18.39 The disciples are blocking the way. They're always blocking the way. They're always getting in the way. But notice what happens. And then this is is personal now. This gets personal for you and I. Those who led the way rebuked him, said, be quiet. Shh, shh, shh. So does he quiet up? No. He shouted all the more. What's the principle? His desperation preceded his deliverance. And so too for all of us. Listen, sometimes God is going to put you in, 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 in the crucible. He's going to put you in the fire. He's going to leave you there as he's purifying you, conforming you to the image of his beloved son. Until what? Until you cry out. God is using that. So remember that desperation is not a bad thing. But generally, desperation precedes deliverance, and clearly that's the point here. Okay? We good on that? Let's go to our second point and keep moving. Now we're going to see the Lord's power, but we're going to change it up a little bit because generally we're going to look at the power of the Lord and something like this, the miraculous power and the healing. I'm going to show you something that's even deeper, and we'll get to the healing in a moment. We'll be brief. Ready? The power in his question. What is that all about? Ready? Luke 18, 40 to 41. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him, so he told the disciples, stand down, bring him over. Now he says this. You ever wonder? What do you want me to do for you? So pause for just a second. Jesus knows the heart of every man. He certainly knows the guy's desire. He knows the guy's blind. Why does he ask a seemingly ridiculous question? Worse than that, really an an, an unkind question. A question that seemingly lacks compassion. Remember the paralytic that was lowered down? First thing he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. I'm kind of looking for legs here that I could walk. You're kind of getting ahead of me here. He asked, he asked the, the other guys, what do you want me to do for you? What do you mean, what do you, I, I want you to do? I, I, what's the power? The power in the question? Watch. We've got to go to Leviticus 25, 35. So he answers, I want to see. Do you? I want to see. He makes the guy, he, he's, he's going to the heart, and he wants the guy to go inside of his heart and answer this question. What do you want me to do for you? Are you calling me to have mercy so I can give you some alms for the poor? Give you some money? You don't know what I have. I've got some money. I've got some food. I'm going to give that. What do you want? I want to see. You do? Okay, let's go back. This guy shouldn't have been begging. Why? There had been a command, clear law, Leviticus 25, 35. 
And clearly the people had, be, had for a long time had been neglecting the obligation that they were under in the word of God. And they knew the word. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so that they can continue living among you. They weren't doing that. They were denying the clear, revealed truth of God's word. They, they shouldn't have been begging. Whether he had family or not, we don't know, but he should have been cared for. They had an obligation to care for the poor, the widows and the orphans. That is God's command. They're not doing it. So because they're not doing it, Jesus now is going to go to the heart of the matter. He knows they're not doing it. What do you want me to do for you? Don't miss this. My words. But I'm speaking into the scripture. If I heal you physically, this is Jesus. Now you will need to care for yourself. Your begging days are over. That's all you know. That's all you know. You've grown comfortable in all you know. Perhaps you've grown to depend upon that. You don't have to work. And for some of us, say, well, God, that's a horrible thing. I want to be healed immediately. You ever run into anyone? I have as a pastor many, many times who is comfortable in their affliction and having no interest to come out. There's an actual term for that medically, and our doctors here know that. Jesus understands what's going on here. You want, if I give you sight, your begging days are done. You're going to be responsible. You're going to go get a job. You're going to be a productive member of society. But we're going to go deeper. Because physical blindness is always pointing to spiritual. If I heal you spiritually, now you're going to have to what? Change your life. <laughs> Do you really want sight? Real sight? This is the power of the question. And then very quickly and briefly, what's the power of the cure, 42 to 43. We can't go deep here. It's not a seminary class, but just know that faith is what's called the instrumental cause. But let me, let me be clear on how this works. Briefly, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith, your faith, your faith has healed you. We'll look at the Greek in a moment. Immediately he received sight. And what? Did his life change? Immediately he followed what? Jesus, praising God. But we need, we need, to, we need to get this real quick, okay? What, what is faith? Faith, your, your faith. His faith healed him. His faith healed him. So the faith is the instrumental cause. Was it his faith? You've got to be careful how we answer it. Dr. Spro would say, well, Tommy, of course it was. After God had given it to him. Right? So God gives you the faith to believe. And faith becomes the instrumental cause of the results of the blessing. But you have to back out of the instrumental cause to the primary cause, the first cause, the ultimate cause, and that faith is a gift to him. And that becomes the instrument, the instrument God uses to bring him to what? Look at the Greek. Sometimes we bring a Greek word or a Hebrew, it's important, sotso. It's used a few times in the scriptures. But see, this is not the word just for healing, getting sight, a physical sight. No, 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 no. This is the word for being saved. This is salvation. We see it with the woman with the 12 years of the hemorrhaging. Remember in Matthew 9? We saw it there. We see it in the 10 lepers. Remember the one who comes back? Sozo. Your faith has made you well. Healing at the deepest possible level. He's, he's healed physically, and he's healed what? Spiritually. You see it? Now, final point. Why are the people praising? Because you know in just a couple days... 
They praise him as he enters in, and a few days later, they, they condemn him to death. Why are they praising? They know something. What do they know? Let's take a look. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Why? Don't miss this. Old Testament prophecy tells us what? The Messiah is going to give sight to the blind. Did you know that? They know that. This is, the, this is the final miracle. This is, other than cursing the fig tree, this is before the cross. This is the big one. So he, he does this, and they know something is up. So Isaiah 35 says what? Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. Dan? To open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives from prison, Isaiah 42, 7. John 9, 25. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. What's going on? The people know that this is, this is the Messiah. This is the only one who could do something like this. This is the power of the coming of the promised one. Now, here's the close. Luke 4, 18 to 21. You ready for this? How does Jesus begin his preaching ministry in his hometown? Remember, he goes to the synagogue. He's a, he's a traveling rabbi, itinerant preacher. They loved those guys to come to the... They, they, they didn't hate him yet. They loved those guys to come and preach. The attendant, the man responsible in the synagogue, he chooses the, the, the scripture, the scroll. He brings it to the, to the place where it will be read. He gives it to the itinerant preacher. What scroll does he give to Jesus? Jesus doesn't pick the scroll. Just so happens, had some good luck that day that this, this attendant brought him the scroll of Isaiah. And then it was even better luck. He happens to open it, Isaiah 61. My goodness. All these just lucky events that took place. Or was God orchestrating all things from before the foundation of the world that on that day Jesus would stand in that synagogue, open the scrolls, and read. Now, this is not Jesus speaking. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. This is not Jesus speaking now in Luke. This was him speaking to Isaiah 700 years before. You ready? The Spirit of the Lord. He's reading now. They think he's just reading Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. They knew that Messiah would say these words when he came. Because he is anointed Christos. He has been anointed to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now here's the key. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Well, now it's time to preach. You have to now unpack what you read. So they're waiting for him to speak. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened upon him. And he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's why they wanted to kill him. 1,500 years of Jewish Old Testament history. Not total Old Testament, but Jewish. 1,500 years. 700 since those words that Isaiah pens and every single week in the synagogue. They're waiting for that day. That day. Today. That, and finally, here's Jesus. Today. 
this scripture is fulfilled. How do we know that this wasn't? Now, first century, we got we to go back to the, to, the, to the original manuscripts, and we got to say, okay, who was it written for? Clearly, this was written. Isaiah was writing it for the exiles coming out of the Babylonian captivity. But we know that this was not fulfilled in their era, in their time. Why? The promises weren't fulfilled. That didn't happen. They were still prison. Where were they? They were prisoners to Rome. The captives had not been set free. So, so Isaiah had to be pointing to a future time. And he was. When? Today. Today in your midst, in your hearing, this has been accomplished. There's the power of what the blind man could see that no one else around him could see. Because he saw Jesus through the eyes of his heart. He wasn't trying to intellectualize and trying to come to great conclusions about this guy as a great preacher, a wonderful prophet, and a man of God with great character. No, the eyes of his heart said something far more. This is the promised Messiah. This is the son of David. This is the one who is the greater David, the greater Solomon, the greater everything that the Old Testament pointed to. And now, is it your today? Is this the day that you receive spiritual sight? With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ says, come. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The power of the gospel to change your heart and then to change your life that you will leave here following the one who has raised you from death to life. Is today the day? May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you that it is the power of God unto salvation. And Lord, we always, we always Expect that there would be those in our midst who are not in a saving relationship. Lord, the gospel was preached and proclaimed and the invitation made clear. Let all who have ears to hear, hear these words and come to Christ by grace, through faith. Put your doing down. Trust in Christ alone. Receive the power that comes only through the gospel. And know this truth, that once you are in Christ, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is the power of the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and because of that truth we are eternally grateful and father for all those who are here who have walked some for decades with you strengthen us in our walk that we might continue to walk by faith and not by sight these things we ask in christ's name amen
Thank you.